From beach towels to tea towels and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. This is the Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. And g'day, g'day. Welcome to the program. Good to have your companies. We broadcast from Sydney for the next two hours. I tell you what, I've been following the number of emails and the traffic we're getting on chat boxes and the kind of feedback I'm getting to TNT on various social media accounts that I have. And I've got to say, uh, this particular network is growing, and those that follow this program are growing as well. So thank you very much for all of that. And I do hope you can spread the word. Uh, it's very easy to do. All you've got to do is like us on your various social media sites. Just like us, and uh, that tells all the people who follow you that maybe this is a radio and television program that you should uh, you should follow today's news talk it is growing every single day it is available to watch by the way on just about every visual streaming service in the world um, there aren't too many unless you can tell me you can tell me and send me an email or put it on the chat box is there some streaming service we're not on I doubt it but uh, you can spread the word and tell people they can watch. Uh, some of the best commentary and some of the best opinionators as well right here on TNT. Now, in this edition, is publicly funded and owned news media always as biased as we think they are? Now, my answer to that would be yes. And I say that based on the fact that I've looked very closely and listened very closely to what the BBC broadcast. Uh, to what PBS broadcast as well. Um, I've also looked at what um, ABC in Australia broadcast, both on radio and television. And I've got to say, the more you listen, the more you realise they're running agendas. But in one of the first car crash interviews of 2024, this is a perler, this is, one of the first car crash interviews, a minister in the UK decided to tell the media that they were cracking down on bias within the BBC. Um, but the f sad point was they were basing their crackdown on one of the most piddling surveys you have ever heard in your life. Anyway, we'll get to that story. It's a good one. My special guest today is the author of a new book, on billionaire Democrat George Soros, Dr. Rachel Ehrenfeld. Now, given what George and his empire has dis dismantled over the past few years in various countries, uh, his resetting of history and his funding of the campaign to jail Donald Trump, um, it is a very timely book and a very timely conversation. Has anyone had a larger influence on America of late than the godfather of the left, George Soros. I doubt it. And we shouldn't leave out his son, Alex, by the way. Uh, he's potentially more dangerous than George because even this week, he's publicly suggesting that Trump might end up being assassinated or might end up being in jail. That's the only way to stop him from becoming the president of the United States. But I'll get to all of that with uh, Dr. Ehrenfeld shortly on the program. Talking about Trump, he's turned up on Fox News, elated, it appears. That's certainly the mood he was in. 
uh, expressing his thanks to Ron DeSantis for backing him and mapping out some of his plans for the United States. I'll play some of that interview for you this hour. And from down under, you'll hear from Liberal Senator Holly Hughes today and multimedia host and news executive Jason Morrison. Both are on the program. Uh, They are brilliant commentators, and I'm looking forward to them as well. We'll discuss the other train wreck media interview in the last 24 hours. This time, it involves the CEO of Cricket Australia, who has banned the term Australia Day. Can't be used on Australia Day. Can you believe it? It can't be used. And when you think about it, cricket itself as a sport was exported from Britain when they landed in the new colony that is to become Australia. That was 1778 when the first fleet came, January 26. So in some ways on Australia Day, it's the birth of cricket in Australia, but they can't say the words. It's too offensive to some groups, presumably some members of the Indigenous community. Well, I've got to say, this obsession with appeasing Indigenous Australia has got to stop. And this woke attitude from major retailers in Australia and sporting codes like Cricket Australia, like Tennis Australia, who also don't want the words Australia Day, how hideous those words would be, mouthed or announced over the microphone, over any kind of presentation at the Australian Open. It's a disgrace. And I mean, following this yesterday, and we've been talking about it, but uh, there have been developments, including this car crash interview I'll play for you very, very shortly. Um, We'll also talk about whether the government is going to follow through on a key election promise in Australia, which is to bring in stage three tax cuts for middle and higher income earners. Uh, They're using some very selective language right now to allow themselves to get out of that promise, Um, but it will hurt them immensely if they try. Um, We should also draw a line in the sand about what teachers want to teach in classrooms because there's a secret tape that has been released by Sky News in Australia where you've got a group of teachers colluding in a call, a telephone call, about how to push the pro-Palestinian line to their children, to their students. You heard right and you'll hear it on the audio. It'll blow your mind. Once they start brainwashing our kids over, you know, Middle Eastern politics, that is when you've got to take your child out of the school. That's not what our fees were meant to pay for. Uh, And, of course, we've got you on our talkback lines. We hope to hear what you have to say and what you hear about uh, what you think about the greatest issues in the world right now. From the United States and Canada, you can dial in right now on 1-888-201-6425. You won't wait long. I'll get you straight up on the board and you can have your say. From the UK, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia or New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. There you have it. We're all set up. You know what's coming. And who knows what else could be all yours. This is Chris Smith broadcasting live from the Global News Talk Network, TNT. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I've been in the car all day and I got to listen. Can't get enough of it. You guys are doing a great job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Now, when it comes to news media in particular, um, we all have our favourites, right? And for many of you who tune in on a regular basis to TNT and maybe regular 
regularly to this program, you'd have to say that TNT was one, if not your favourite, news media, which is great. Thank you. Uh, but publicly funded news media is a whole different ball game. Uh, you've got America's PBS, you've got Australia's ABC, Britain's BBC, they are different. They are very different. And after 44 years working in news media, I know the difference, and it's found in the culture of the organisation, a culture of entitlement, a culture of superiority, a culture, I think, crucially, where politics leans very much to the left. That is just the culture that they employ and that those who run these organisations have. You see, when they say, oh, we're unbiased, we're independent, well, for a start, they're paid dollars from the government. That's the end of the independence. That's the first thing we've got to take note on. But because of that culture, that ingrained culture, well, they don't know what the middle class think. They don't know what real-life struggles middle class people have because those who are employed live in a very different societal bubble and their independence always twists left. They may not wish it to do that, but it does. And so in Britain, the Tory government is out to scrutinise their bias and make them more accountable. Now, the government is reforming the BBC working model, which could give media watchdog, Ofcom, greater powers over BBC news articles and the corporation's complaints process. According to Ofcom's latest report on the BBC, 56% of the general public rate the broadcaster positively for news coverage that is impartial, dropping to 50% among lower socioeconomic demographics. Cultural Secretary Lucy Fraser was out of the media this week, trying hard to convince the public via the media that they were the good media cops. I'm looking at this very carefully. I'm looking at uh, whether the guidelines are sufficient. I'm looking at whether the BBC is enforcing those guidelines. But the right time for me to get involved is uh, in a charter review. And that's what uh, okay. I would do, um, having looked at these issues very carefully and monitoring what the BBC are doing. So I've been looking at it very carefully. Sounds very professional. Now, the BBC has really shown their bias recently when Hamas launched their barbaric attacks on Israel, the broadcaster refused to say that Hamas was officially a terrorist group. They refused to do it. And staff have rebelled against accusations of pro-Palestinian bias. There's been a degree of turmoil in the BBC. Australia's ABC has been embroiled in the same turmoil with, some, uh, with one host sacked, although I notice in court today that the ABC said she wasn't sacked. Well, she was on the roster and then she wasn't. And then others have resigned over similar allegations. So on GB News in London, the culture secretary was reluctant to say the BBC was consistently biased, but she kept leaning on the fact that too many Britons came to this same conclusion. What I'm interested in is what audiences say and what we know from um, statistics from 
uh, Ofcom is that audiences are feeling like uh, the BBC is not performing that role in relation to impartiality and uh, they are getting less impartial. So last year, 39% of complaints about the BBC were about impartiality uh, when the year before they were 19%. So trust in the impartiality of the BBC unfortunately is going down. It's really, really valuable institution. It's, it, you know, we should hold the BBC in high regard, uh, but it's got more to do and that's what this report is all about. So she's basing what she's saying on the fact that they received complaints and more complaints about impartiality. Does that, does that say that we should view every complaint that comes into the media as real, every complaint as justified, every complaint as founded? Take it from me. I get complaints about what I do on a regular basis and have done for 40 years, live. And I'm telling you right now, most of the complaints about what you're saying lack one very good, one very key ingredient. They don't remember what you really said. They lack accuracy. They base what they say on their own bias. I'm telling you that's the fact. I've seen it and I've been able to carefully analyse it. So let's not start criticising whoever, whether it's the BBC or whether it's, you know, GB News in London, based on the number of complaints you're getting. Now, putting that aside, there's one other point that they're doing. They're basing all of this on a survey that asked people whether they were impartial or not. Now, to be fair to the BBC, and I'm saying that they are biased, but putting that aside, pollsters know that polling is notoriously suggestive. Pollsters admit that questions of negativity about an entity like the BBC are usually accepted by those surveyed as just a given. They think negatively. It's suggestive. And is it possible that just one mainstream media outlet in the UK is biased? It's only the BBC? Hardly. But the minister is just one outlet in her sights, and that's the BBC. Now, by the time Lucy Fraser arrived at the Sky News studio in London, her strong stance on bias started to look decidedly weak in what some described as the car crash interview of the year thus far, the minister couldn't differentiate between survey guesstimates and real evidence. There is a perception amongst uh, the public that the BBC is biased and as culture secretary, it's important that I look at that. I must say, these are issues that I have discussed with the BBC. They've taken on board... Yeah, but I'm asking you about the evidence of bias. Where's the evidence? The evidence of bias is what audiences believe is the content of the BBC and but that's how perception. they... Think. That's not evidence. That's yes. perception. That is evidence. That is evidence. That is evidence. Impartiality is about perception of... Um, of the things that are being broadcast by the BBC. And the evidence in relation to that perception is that... Um, perception and evidence are different things. The evidence from Ofcom, having done studies and questionnaires of the public, is that um, the BBC's um, ratings in relation to impartiality have gone down. And I and the BBC think that there is more that the BBC can do in order to improve that. Shocking. Shocking. A survey, a questionnaire, is not evidence. And I'm not going in to support the BBC here. They are biased. But a questionnaire is not evidence. A questionnaire has never been evidence. 
perception when it comes to politics might be evidence because that's the only thing they deal in. Fake evidence, which is perception. So Lucy's used to perception being what counts in her world. Well, maybe when she gets kicked out of the office at the end of 2024, she'll be uh, much better prepared for life after that because she's got this wrong, dead wrong, and the BBC are being nailed unfairly, and the people of Great Britain should expect a lot more from the Tory government. This is TNT. TNT's Pervoy Morich. He details factually how Russia is rolling out the algorithm ghetto. Um, you know, the, the, the multipolar edition of the algorithm ghetto, a prototype of a traffic light that records traffic violations by a pedestrian at a crossing was tested in Moscow. So Russians now, they'll, they'll have a, the government will take a snapshot of their face and then run that through the databases to figure out who is who and then find them, uh, I suppose. Uh, and then, you know, he, he points out that there are a lot of developments now. Moscow 2030, it's, it's, uh, they want to make uh, Moscow achieve smart city status. Uh, and there's just, you know, you, you look at the white papers, Moscow and Russia are all in on Agenda 2030, smart cities, algorithm ghetto, digital IDs. Pervoy Morich on today's News Talk TNT. Where the story goes, we follow Chris Smith on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Well, for the past four decades, George Soros has been using his multi-billion dollar political philanthropic global network to impose his political will on numerous nations. By 1993, Soros was heralded as the man who broke the Bank of England. He used the praises and the publicity to create a network of powerful foundations dedicated to his overriding ambition and objective to reshape the world's only constitutional democratic republic, the United States of America. By 2023, the nation's political and social landscape had changed beyond recognition. Soros's motto is, if I spend enough, I can make it right. But what is right, according to George Soros? My guest in New York City will help answer that question and much more. Dr. Rachel Ehrenfeld, author of The Soros Agenda, is the founder and president of the New York-based American Center for Democracy and its Economic Warfare Institute. Her multidisciplinary approach encompasses economic warfare and weapons of mass effect, which includes suppression of free speech, disinformation, political subversion, indoctrination, political Islam and lawfare, corruption, terrorist financing, narco-terrorism, the links between global criminal and radical networks and jihad terrorist groups, and money laundering, as well as cyber security. Rachel Ehrenfeld, welcome to TNT. Um, I'm glad to be with you. Well, what is right, according to George Soros and his agenda? What is right, according to George Soros and his son, Alex, now, who runs the foundations, mm -hmm. is um, globalism, um, doped people running around, um, um, green agenda, um, 
I understand now in, in Davos there was some decision to limit meat consumption, to ration it. Um, and um, I don't know, to force everybody to buy uh, an electric car uh, without, I guess, they are not thinking about how uh, the car will actually be um, charged uh, and how well can it run. It doesn't matter. I guess they don't want... The idea is really to control the people, to eliminate sovereignty, uh, to have to eliminate any national um, national uh, pride, if you want, uh, any patriotism for any country, um, to force people into um, all kinds of so-called justice agendas, which are actually when you look at them, they call racial racial justice. Racial justice is discrimination of white people, yeah, mostly men, uh, and uh, women are kind of they don't count really very much. Uh, promotion of transgender, um, uh, really indoctrinating children from the get go, <laughs> from kindergarten. For sexual, um, for sexual, um, I don't know, uh, uh, perversion, mm -hmm. um, eliminating the family uh, as a basis for society, um, having um, having um, letting criminals um, off uh, without charging them. Uh, without imprisoning them, and um, all kind of other lovely things like that. And of course, drug legalization, anybody can take as much heroin or, or fentanyl or whatever, um, and facilitating that through, for example, um, what is called so harm reduction. Uh, centers where people can go and shoot up whatever they want, get even drugs. Uh, this this is coming. This didn't happen everywhere, but this is coming now. Would you agree um, that this is the recipe? This is the national recipe for disaster and mayhem. Well, it is. Look at this. Look at uh, look at the um, so-called success of the Biden administration, because. Biden is following um, following the uh, the recipe uh, Soros's recipe for what is supposed to be an open society, and it's very interesting. The language that is being used by Soros has been used by Soros and his uh, accolades and his followers, including the Biden administration, is very Orwellian and. Uh, Really, the whole the whole theory is, um, uh, or the whole uh, philosophy, if you want. He likes uh, he likes to say that he's a philosopher, um, and um, it is really a combination between Orwell's 1984 mm. and Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. It, it's interesting uh, you say that because I don't think I've heard references to 1984. 
as much as I have heard in every major Western country in the last 12 months, almost weekly. I'm sure Orwell will, uh, had Orwell had been alive, I'm sure that uh, he would have been happy. <laughs> but uh, his books are selling. Uh, but so is Aldous Huxley's because I mention it uh, frequently. I wrote about it in the book as well. Uh, it's really a combination. So everything that they say is the opposite. He created what he called open society. Yeah. What is open society according to Soros? Well, it's really not an open society. It's a closed society. Yeah. And everybody's closed into his own little uh, rubric, if you want. If, if, you are, if you are white, you are, you are in a special category, which is to be discriminated against. Yeah. Because you are, by definition, if you are white, uh, you, are you are an oppressor and you are privileged. So mm. you should be really put down. Can uh, I ask you, you this? How long have you been investigating the Soros Network? I, I started uh, looking at Soros uh, soon after he opened his uh, office. Well, actually, when he, uh, when he um, backed uh, <laughs> the Bank of England. Um, well, well I, I was doing research on, uh, on terrorism and terrorist financing. And I was in London very frequently. So I actually happened to be there. I think a day after or something. And so there was a lot of excitement because he he managed to devalue the British pound. Mm. And uh, people were very upset because their mortgages went up and everybody lost money. So it turned out actually to be good for the, uh, for the UK economy in the long run. However, uh, people were very upset. And um, I know, and he, he got a lot. He, he, he got to be known as Maverick and, and uh, people praised him. And uh, he didn't get enough initially. So he called in reporters and he organized actually uh, publicity for himself. He gave interviews right. because he wanted to bank on it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's what he did. And okay. he, he was not he was not actually shy even of telling it. Uh, yeah, that that was one of his that was one of his international turning points, no doubt. But yes. how did he rise to power? Where did the money come from? Well, if you are so if you are such a maverick, if you are if you can actually uh, um, make what officially was one to two billion dollars, but it is more like ten to twenty billion dollars uh, overnight. Well, then you must be somebody that we should uh, like to hear from. You must be very smart. Uh, never mind that he had a lot of help in actually getting it done. Uh, but I, I, I related in the book. But um, so somebody so powerful, he came to the United States, opened his, uh, opened shortly afterwards, um, opened uh, his, uh, established his Open Society Institute in Manhattan not far from where I live. I could actually see his offices from my windows. Mm -hmm. uh, and the new offices are around the block. Uh, and um, the, first, the first thing that he did was to uh, start propaganda and establish foundations to promote drug legalization. 
So I saw it and I said, well, this is strange. Why does someone who claims to advocate open society, whatever it means, but it sounds free, uh, is, is really working so hard and investing money and promoting drug addiction, which is the biggest slavery ever. Mm. Your body, your, your brain, everything is, is, is enslaved to drugs. Yeah. So I wrote an article, I wrote several articles, including the Wall Street Journal, and I asked this question. And I also said, because I realized that there is some long-term political agenda in it. And I warned at the time uh, that if unchallenged, Soros will be able to change the political landscape of the United States. I didn't have the crystal ball, but I was right. Yes, you were right. Exactly, you were right. We'll talk about 2023 in particular and the impact he's had certainly on the indictments on Donald Trump, etc. There's so much more to talk about. Uh, Rachel <laughs> Ehrenfeld is my special guest, author of The Soros Agenda. We'll come back with you in just a short moment, Rachel. We'll stop for news right here on TNT. Here we go. TNT Radio News. <laughs> News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Tensions are building in the US where a battle over border security is brewing between Texas and the federal government. Trump has pledged to seal the US-Mexico border if re-elected as president. The US and the UK have carried out another wave of airstrikes against Iranian-backed terrorists in the Middle East. And Russia's foreign minister has hit out at the West for arming Ukraine with cluster bombs and depleted uranium shells that have been used against civilians. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT radio. Rachel Ehrenfield is my special guest on the program and her book is The Soros Agenda. George Soros. Can I ask you this? What impact did he have on the number of district attorneys who turned on Donald Trump in 2023, was is it was it his influence primarily that made that happen, his influence on those that he was funding, or was it the Biden administration, or was it both? Well, he he it is not the the uh, attorneys that are going after Trump uh, are making up all kinds of um, really interesting um allegations um, uh, have been mostly, um, they, they are Democrats, mm -hmm. and uh, many of them have been elected into office uh, because of uh, Soros' money. Soros is the biggest funder of the Democrat Party, uh, Democratic Party in the US, and has been for quite some time. And uh, he put, as I mentioned earlier, his first, his, first, his first item on the agenda when he just started his activities in the United States was to challenge the, legal, the criminal legal system. Mm. So that was, that was, and this is why I understood immediately uh, that this, has, this is much more longer term than just, okay, so let's try and see if we can legalize drugs. So what he did, he and and he he has been not only funding the elections of uh, very progressive um, 
uh, district attorneys, prosecutors, judges whenever they are elected, and other actually public officials that are elected to positions like secretaries of state who decide on the election when yeah. election happens. Yeah. So really key people, key personnel in public offices uh, are getting a lot of funding from uh, the Soros Foundation and Soros family. And they are, once they, once they are protégés if, if of Soros, if you want, other Democrats are following it because he's so good. He knows what he's doing. And he has been doing it for a long time. He started with it in, in the, during the Clinton administration, he got so much involved that um, he, he had his own office at the State Department and they were talking about him. Well, uh, when we are talking about what to do in foreign policy, etc., we are consulting with our allies, of course, with France, with, uh, with Germany, with, with the UK, and with Soros. <laughs> so this is how they refer to them. To him. And, and so, and so let, let me ask. Let me ask you the question I just asked you again, though. Yeah, is it Trump. his? Is it his strategy to force Donald Trump out of the presidential election Absolutely. by funding district attorneys to force him uh, to face indictments? By any by any means, really. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, uh, he uh, he and his son Alex now. Actually, his son today uh, got some uh, uh, exciting uh, coverage in, in some American media mm -hmm. because he sent out um, a tweet, uh, Twitter X, uh, linking it to an article that appeared in The Atlantic that talking about Trump's, um, what will happen if Trump is elected. And he added that, um, well, Trump will be so. So he sent it out also with a with a photograph of a, of a, of a window pierced by a bullet, and and added uh, the number forty seven uh, below. So people thought, okay. And the article is about Trump. Trump would be the forty seven presidents if he is elected. Yeah. So uh, it kind of what this is a threat. Um, uh, he well, it's clearly said, a threat, Rachel. It's clear, clearly a threat. He also threat. He also said in in Davos, which ended uh, this weekend, uh, last weekend, he said that well, Trump, if Trump, uh, if Trump is elected because he owns the Republican Party, uh, uh, he will he will he will be president. But the other the other thing for him is to be either a president or a or in prison. So, uh, yeah, they are doing everything they can in order to, um, what, 91 charges, uh, all fabricated, all made up, uh, based on lies. And, and it's truly, it also shows, and Trump is right pointing this out, it also shows how the um, justice, uh, justice system uh, have turned into injustice system in the United States. Yeah. And living here and seeing this happening, it is truly mind-boggling and, yeah, the, and best, the best justice system money can buy, which yeah. is what it's yeah. proved to be. But, but, but it's working against him. I get the feeling, Rachel, that the more Soros goes for his throat, and Alex first and George as well, the more they go for his throat, slap indictments on him, fund 
um, you know, investigations into him, the more the public realise that this is a con and this is a setup. Maybe, I mean, so I, I live I live in New York. So there are many people in New York that if you mention the name Trump, they will go berserk. Oh, he's terrible. They hate him. And this this happens also among uh, Democrats in other places, which is kind of, uh, you know, I look at it as what's wrong with them. This is kind of, um, I don't know, uh, a mental mental condition. Uh, I don't know what they are drinking, uh, but indoctrination really works in a very strange way. Um, had I been a psychiatrist, I would have done everything in order to look to look into this. It's just yes. simply unbelievable. It is unbelievable. But, it's Trump derangement syndrome, Rachel. Yeah, it is. It is absolutely. And um, people, I mean, people don't talk to, they used to be friends. They don't talk to each other anymore because, and it's not, it's not that the Republicans or the conservatives don't want to talk with the Democrats. No, it's the Democrats. If you, if you are a supporter of Trump, you're dead. I mean, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the way they are look at, looking at it. Can I ask you um, this question? Just outside of America, what political influence does Alex and George have elsewhere? Well, uh, the Open Society Foundations have been active in, uh, according to their website. I didn't look at it actually uh, in, in, for a couple of days, but uh, it used to say that they are operating in more than 120 countries and 100, it can be 180, it can be 190, I, I don't know. Uh, but their, their footprints are everywhere. And <laughs> their funding and their attempts to change society are very, very recognized. Mm. His major, well, uh, we are having now, there is a war between Ukraine and Russia, which uh, should have not happened, uh, would have not happened if Trump would have been in place. Yeah. Uh, and Soros' involvement in Ukraine is, uh, is very interesting. I write a little bit about it in the book. Uh, he has been involved now, the change in, in government in, uh, in uh, Poland, for example. Uh, it was a conservative government. Uh, they've done very well um, economically, um, and, uh, but they didn't, want to, um, they didn't want to submit to the EU mandate uh, to accept um, whatever number uh, of uh, illegal migrants. Um, they didn't want to bring in um, Muslim um, population uh, from, from Africa and from the Middle East or Asia. That has not, they don't know the language, they don't have the same religion, they don't have the same culture, uh, they don't have, uh, most of them don't have any skills, most of them are illiterate, well, many of them are illiterate. So they didn't want to open their society to this. So um, Soros had been <coughs> funding uh, all kinds of uh, opposition groups uh, in Poland. They have been doing it also in Hungary and in the Czech Republic. He succeeded now in Poland because there is new government. The president actually uh, is still the same and it's conservative. And he has been complaining openly. Uh, there were some very interesting public interviews with him about how this new left uh, government, globalist kind of government, 
is now affecting Poland. And there is a lot of tension and a lot of um, um, many upset um, citizens now that um, there are protests and, and it's really it's causing chaos. And Soros is a connoisseur of chaos. Yeah, he is the connoisseur of chaos. What a beautifully stated and accurate term. <laughs> Who's worse, do you think, Alex or George? Well, Alex just started and he has uh, very big uh, shoes to, to, to fill. Uh, but he's much more radical. Uh, well, I, I don't know. I, I never met him. Actually, didn't speak with him. Uh, I met his father. But... Um, um, Alex seems to be, if judging by the tweet he, he sent uh, out today, um, I don't know, not very smart, perhaps. No, no. Uh, <laughs> the fact that he would he would even imply that Trump yeah. would be executed, yeah. um, well, I think, father, shows his, more than he should show. Yeah, his father, his father actually um, called... Uh, President Bush, uh, when he, uh, President Bush, he called President Bush Hitler, and he was calling now, of course, he called uh, President Trump uh, Hitler as well. Mm. So, uh, I mean, yeah, so now the use of Hitler uh, has become kind of uh, a daily, a daily uh, occurrence. A daily event, yeah. But yep. um, he has been, so the Hungary is a major uh, enemy. Uh, it's not Hungary. It's uh, uh, Prime Minister Orban, who decided that he um, actually doesn't want uh, <laughs> all these illegal uh, migrants that uh, that um, really were are still streaming into um, flooding Europe. Uh, in Hungary for the same reasons as the Polish uh, didn't want them. Yeah. And he succeeded. He was yeah. able to withstand his being fined by the EU. So uh, Orban is a big enemy of his. And um, and there is also Bibi Netanyahu, the Israeli prime minister. And he is doing everything together with the Biden administration and Blinken, Anthony Blinken, who is... Um, who is, uh, has very close ties with Soros. Uh, his parents left their, their library uh, to the Soros Foundation, which is named, so there is a, a, Blinken, a Blinken library within the Soros Foundation, mm -hmm. very close uh, ties with uh, Soros. And he has been, of course, working with Biden for a long time. And uh, they are going after uh, the Prime Minister of Israel uh, because guess what? He wants to defend his country from jihadists, from Hamas terrorists who who butchered uh, uh, who butchered uh, children, uh, women, raping everybody, burning everything. Uh, they, Netanyahu and his government want to protect Israel from this, and and destroy Hamas, uh, the Palestinian Muslim Brotherhood affiliated terrorist organization an Iran-affiliated terrorist organization, and that's that's unacceptable to them. So mm -hmm. they want uh, they want actually to get rid of him, yep. and they are creating a lot of uh, propaganda against him, and paying also for uh, organizations in Israel uh, and in the United States in order to uh, defame 
the same BB. Uh, it, it looks very much, uh, if you are familiar with uh, US politics, uh, what is happening in Israel looks very familiar because they are trying to do the same as they have been doing to Trump. Yeah, there's some similarities there. There are similarities. Can I ask yeah. you this finally? How do you push back against um, a juggernaut like the Suros Empire? How do you push back? How do you, uh, I don't know, oppose the power? Well, the the uh, the foundation has been, by uh, law, it seems that the foundation has all not always followed the letter of the law, that they have been skirting uh, some things and really giving giving money to organizations. They're not supposed to to fund political activities. Uh-huh. Uh, and so Soros is right because he said that, well, he, he said he doesn't believe in charity. Uh, he stated it very, very clearly. He doesn't believe in charity. Uh, he, he, so he decided to say, to call himself a political philanthropist. Philanthropy is charity. Uh, it doesn't go together with, poli- with politics, okay? No. So you have a purpose for it, you are not charitable anymore. So, um, but, but what agency, been, what agency, Rachel, is going to take on the Suras Empire? Well, the IRS should, but I doubt that the IRS would do. Uh, I, I, I guess the Justice Department, who has been completely politicized and weaponized, uh, would do anything as well. The many people, uh, many officials, uh, high officials at the Biden administration have very close links uh, with the Soros foundations, with Soros' money. Many newspapers, many publications, uh, uh, media, TV, even Hollywood uh, have uh, links to um, uh, to Soros. He is really... Um, it's uh, it's a very interesting. Um, uh, it's like a virus, or <laughs> uh, yeah. he it's has the been Soros virus or yeah. the Soros pandemic. You're exactly right. I've run out of time, Rachel, but you've been very, very informative. You know your subject very well, and I have a feeling that under a younger Alex Soros, I think the empire is going to expose themselves more then it's probably safe for them to do so. Let's hope that that's the case. Uh, Rachel Ehrenfeld, thank you so much for your time. And where can we purchase your book, The Soros Agenda? You can purchase the book on Amazon.com. I think they are also selling it in Australia. Yeah. Uh, And also, if you go to... There is actually a bookseller in Australia as well. If uh, you go to acdemocracy.org, American Center for Democracy, acdemocracy.org, you will find a lot of information about where to buy the book in addition to Amazon, as well as many more articles about Soros that has been written since and before uh, and during when this book was written. Very educational, especially right now when he's having such an impact on the presidential election of 2024. Rachel Ehrenfield, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. No problem. Uh, her book, by the way, The Soros Agenda. Very interesting. I'm, I'm sure you've got a Soros 
opinion or tale to tell if you have. Give me a call on the talkback lines if you want to dial in from the US or Canada. The number is 1888 201 6425. From the UK, it's 033 0024 1026. Or from Australia and New Zealand, 1 800 670 310. George and Alex Soros. What a blight on the presidential campaign of 2024. Let's take a break right here on TNT. see it coming. It's pre-diabetes, and it captures one in three adults. You may not even know you have it, but you can escape. Take the one-minute pre-diabetes risk test to know where you stand. With early diagnosis, you can change the outcome and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. Be your own hero on smartphones everywhere at doihaveprediabetes.org. Focused on the facts. Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. You know, a lot of interviews tell you a lot that's not stated. And I said a little earlier in the program, and I played for you uh, a little bit of what we heard from the Culture Secretary in the UK. And we heard her try and say that a questionnaire was evidence as to why she has to crack down on the BBC. That was a car crash interview. And I'll play you another car crash interview from Cricket Australia next hour on the program. But an interview I saw on Fox and Friends over the weekend uh, from Donald Trump also told us something else. He is cock-a-hoop. With Ron DeSantis gone, done and dusted in the presidential race, uh, he's on his own with Nikki Haley, and he looks to be a very different individual. Here's part of what he had to say on Fox and Friends. Have a listen. Ron DeSantis, um, you supported him to be governor in Florida. You tell the story about how you thought that in return he should have supported you. It's a loyalty thing for you. Anyway, he decided to run, but now he's getting out of the race. My question to you is, is there a moment where y'all can come back together? Because y'all really were friends before. Is that possible? Well, you know, I endorsed him. I didn't know him as well as you might think, but I did endorse him, and I had some uh, fun with it because I watched somebody who was not in the race, and all of a sudden he was in the race, and then he did a good job as governor, Mm -hmm. so I was happy with that. But I was disappointed when uh, they asked him whether or not he'd run, and he said, I have no comment, because to me, when you say no comment, that means you're running. Mm -hmm. And uh, we took it, uh, I think I took it quite seriously, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter now because he uh, got out. So that's water uh, he, under the he, bridge now. Yeah, between totally. You as far as I'm concerned, look, he endorsed me. You know, mm-hmm. he endorsed me. And I, we have policies very similar, actually. I think those people will all come to me. Is there a possibility, since you say it's water under the bridge, he can be vice president or serving your cabinet? He hasn't asked yeah. for any of those positions, no, I don't hasn't. think, yet. No, he But hasn't. is there a possible of the joining of forces? Well, it's probably unlikely, but, you know, I have to be honest. Everything's a possibility, but I think it's highly unlikely. I have a lot of great people. 
and I have great people that have been with me right from the beginning. What is your message to someone that would have voted for Ron DeSantis or supported them? What do you tell them now that he's endorsed you? Well, I think it just, uh, it sort of magnifies, if I can say that, because he and I had very, look, I want strong borders, he wanted strong borders. I want low taxes. I gave you the largest tax cut in history. Nobody ever, bigger than the Ronald Reagan tax cut. He wants that. I want a strong military. He wants that. Uh, he doesn't want wars, although I may be a little bit even more so in that not wanting wars. We have wars in places that nobody ever heard of before, and we're losing. You know, you talk about blood and wealth. We lose so stupidly. And a lot of the things that he wanted, I wanted. And I think, you know, I, in fact, I noticed people commentary, they're saying, well, all of those people that would be for him would be for Trump. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was honored that he endorsed me this quickly. I mean, for, it's not easy. Look, it's not easy. He fought hard, spent a lot of money, and a lot of people thought he'd do well. You know, I was leading from the beginning, just so you understand. And I did very well in Florida, more votes than anybody ever got. I got more votes in Florida than anybody ever got. But he was doing well. And I think uh, he did the right thing. I, I don't, you know, look, I can talk about somebody else's campaign. I didn't see a path. I don't see a path for her at all. He has got a pep in his step. As I said, you can tell from interviews when people are in trouble, trying to justify the unjustifiable or the indefensible. And we've heard one example of that earlier in the program, and we'll hear another next hour. But that interview told me that we've got a different Donald Trump in front of us. We've got someone who really believes that he's fought the good fight and it's all over and done with in terms of the GOP nomination. He doesn't rate Nikki Haley, um, and he was about to go into that, but we've heard a lot of that from him already, uh, both at the end of Iowa and at the beginning of when he turned up to Hampshire. But I I've got to say, um, a lot of people can hear it, and a lot of people are confirming the same thing, and even on the chat box here on TNTradio.live, it says, Donald Trump, according to Mike, Donald Trump is sounding strong, and on his way to success, people want conservative leaders. That's what Mike thinks. Very interesting indeed. And, you know, you think about it, having all of those court cases, those indictments that you face, the legal teams that are focusing on every individual case, it must be mind-blowing to get up in the morning and try and fathom what's actually going on and keep across the detail of it all. And no doubt he does. Um, he cares about the minutiae. And he would be right across the detail of every case, what he thinks needs to be said and pursued and argued. And then, of course, he's got the campaign to worry about. But I just see a Donald Trump with a pep in his step. Now, I want to take you back to Gaza for a second. Arab countries are working on a proposal for post-war Gaza that would create a pathway toward a Palestinian state, which, as we know, Benjamin Netanyahu doesn't want a bar of. But it's in exchange for Saudi recognition of Israel, which may be enough to change Netanyahu's mind. Arab officials are telling AP that the proposal was submitted to Israel via the US and is the first joint plan by Arab states to end the war in Gaza and set a pathway towards a two-state solution. Saudi Arabia, which is one of five Arab countries, making the proposal is offering to normalise ties between Israel and uh, in return, a process derailed by, of course, the Hamas attack 
on October 7, which most shrewd commentators are saying was deliberate. The proposal is still being finalised, according to Saudi and Egyptian officials, but has so far been rejected by Israel's government with the creation of a Palestinian state, the main sticking point. That is the hill that Benjamin Netanyahu wants to die on. We'll see how it all plays out. I've got to take a break. We'll come back after that, catch up with Jason Morrison and also Senator Holly Hughes. So much to talk about from down under, and I'll keep across what's happening right around the world as well. This is Chris Smith on TNT. TNT.